Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I remember when I first moved here, uh, we were staying with our in-laws for just a short period of time, and it was October, <laughs> and my sister-in-law was playing the Charlie Brown Christmas album, and I'm like, seriously? There's like something wrong, like my inner Grinch rose up, and I'm like, no, no, that's not right. How many of you have like that inner Grinch where like October and November's off limits for Christmas music? Anybody like, like me out there? No, you're all good with it year-round? Okay. I mean, it kind of creeps in, so, you know, anyways. Um, but yeah, I, I, love, I love Christmas music, but I maybe just don't like it, you know, before Halloween, that's all. So, uh, But hey, I want to test your skill and your knowledge when it comes to music. So, uh, you know, Billboard, the, one, the Billboard 100 has been around for a long time, and they have one that's dedicated just to holiday music. And so up here behind me, these are the three top trending songs on Billboard's top 100. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one is the top one, because I want to kind of test your knowledge out here a little bit. So we've got over here, first of all, we've got Brenda Lee with her classic rocking around the Christmas tree, right? How many you think that is the number one song right now that's trending right now? Anybody? Going to vote for Brenda Lee? Come on, man. She was 13 when she recorded that. Seriously, like, that's pretty incredible, okay? That's a 13-year-old right there. Wow. All right. Then we've got this classic, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. Anybody voting for Mariah? A lot. What the heck? I've got a bunch of Mariah fans. All right. And then we got good old Bobby Helms over here with Jingle Bell Rock. Do I have any Jingle Bell Rock people out here? Okay, cool. So it's kind of a tie. Well, not really a tie. I'd say Mariah's kind of, kind of you know, out ahead a little bit, but Let's just see who is number one, right? The number one. There it is. All I want for, yeah, go ahead. Give yourselves a hand. All I want for Christmas is you. And uh, so, I mean, that's a cool song. But, you know, somebody did a little bit of uh, research on this, and they found out that of the top 100 holiday songs, only eight of them actually talked about the birth of Christ. And of those eight, only one of them mentioned Christmas. And I think that as much as I love all these songs and, you know, uh, all the things that go along with Christmas, I think it's easy to kind of forget what it's really all about. And I don't know if I have any fans of The Grinch. You know, there's the movie with Jim Carrey, right? Come on, some of us like that, right? The cartoon, the book. But do you know why that book was written? Was uh, way back in the day, Dr. Seuss uh, looked in the mirror on December 26th, and he didn't like what he saw. And he said, that was the inspiration for writing The Grinch, because he said, I was The Grinch, he goes, because I realized like the day after Christmas that I had lost the meaning of what Christmas was really all about. And he said that was the easiest book he ever wrote. And I think that sometimes we can kind of get lost in the meaning of Christmas. And the thing that makes Christmas what it is, is the birth of Emmanuel. And that's what we're going to talk about just a little bit today. I want to just look at Emmanuel. And before I do that, though, I want to say this, that, you know, this last couple of years for Lori and I have been really, really... Um, amazing. And that's because of what comes in a name. Think about it. We all have a name, right? But in the last two years, three names have been added to our fireplace. Eliza, Desiree, and Neil. And I mean, they make Christmas so much more special. Some of you grandparents, you know what I'm talking about. It's fun. It's fun. But here's the thing. They didn't choose their name. Mommy and daddy chose it. You didn't choose your name. Your parents chose it. Now, if you're like me, you fought with your mom for like 18 years over your name. I did, because 
Most of you know this, like I actually wasn't born in America. I was born in Ireland, the north of Ireland. And so Graham is a pretty common name. It'd be like Gary or John in Northern Ireland, but not in America in the 60s. And I come to America in the 60s and there's nobody named Graham except a box of crackers. <laughs> so how many of you know, man, I got into a few fights over that. And it didn't help that my older brother's name was Malcolm. And the kids would go, here comes Milcom and Graham crackers, man. And that's like, it's like, okay, we're about to fight right now, man. We're about to fight. But, you know, parents pick names. I mean, today parents just go on. They say, what's trending on Google? Or I want like a really cool name or I want to be creative. And there's a lot of creative names in that process today. And it's pretty cool. But in the Bible days, when they picked names, they kind of did so with a spiritual mindset. And Bible names typically will reveal someone's destiny and also their character very often. And I want to think about it for just a second. What is in a name? Like if I say the name Michael Jordan, what comes to mind? Goat. Greatest of all time, man. How about Warren Buffett? Financial genius. Billionaire, many times over, right? How about Steve Jobs? A little bit of crazy genius and super rich, right? What do we know them for? We know them for what they're famous for. If I called out the name of somebody that you know fairly well, the moment I call their name out, you have an association in your mind of their character and who they are based on the name I call. It's the same in the kingdom of God. There are over 300 names of God throughout the Bible. You may not know that, but there's over 300 of them. And every name is to reveal part of what God wants to be and do in our lives. Like, how many of you know Psalm 23, a great psalm, right? The Lord is our shepherd. That's one of his names. And that name reveals to you, if you go through verse by verse, it shows you exactly who he wants to be every day of your life. Like every day of your life, he wants to take you to that place where you can rest. Restore your soul every day of your life. He wants to provide for you. He wants to lead you through tough times. He wants to set up a banquet for you while your enemies just sit and watch because he's so good and he's so powerful and he's on your side. They can't really overcome you. That every day of your life, you wake up and goodness and mercy are chasing you down like an animal hunting its prey. That's just one name. And so when I think about the names of God, they, they tell me something. It's like even myself, when, when, when you say the name Graham, to you, I'm a pastor. To Lori, I'm a husband. To my sons, I'm a father. My daughter-in-laws, I'm their father-in-law. I'm a son. I'm a nephew. I'm an uncle. I'm all those things. Those are different roles that I play depending on who I'm interacting with. And it's the same with the names of God. And so the thing that makes Christmas Christmas is Emmanuel. And I want to look at the Gospel of Matthew here in a second. And as I look at this, I, I think one of the dangers that I've run into, and, and the person that helped me think a little bit about this was the late Dallas Willard, just a tremendous theologian, former uh, philosophy professor at USC, just a brilliant man. And... Um, he said, sometimes what happens when we read the Bible, we, we look at the people and the characters in the Bible and we say, they're not like me. Like, those things don't happen to me because that happened just to those people and they're very different than me. And if you do that, when you read the Bible, you'll say that, well, then what happened to them could never, ever happen for me because they're other than me. But I promise you that the people that we're about to read about were just like you and me in every way. We're about to read about a young couple who are engaged, 
And engagement in those days was a little more serious. Like if you wanted to break it off, you had to actually divorce them. And so this couple's engaged. And think about it. We think traditionally that Mary was probably somewhere between 13 to 15 years old. She's pretty young. Joseph is working. He's got a trade. He's got a plan in mind. He's excited about his future. He's excited about a family and just doing all those kinds of things. And imagine this young girl that he's had his eyes on for a while and is just falling more in love with every day. Imagine she walks up to him one day and says these words, dude, I'm pregnant. And you might think, well, yeah, what did he do? Like, can I tell you what he did? He freaked out. He goes, hold on, you're pregnant? I didn't sleep with you. Who did you sleep with? And she's like, I didn't sleep with anyone. And I promise you, I think at this point, he literally shut her down. Like, he literally shut her down. He didn't even let her talk any further. Like, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, I mean, what happened? Was, no, no, don't, don't, don't even go there. I don't want to hear it. Don't take me for a fool. I'm not an idiot. There's no way that you're pregnant without some guy being involved in it. And you know what? You should be, you should be thankful, Mary, that I am a godly man because I could publicly humiliate you in our village, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna silently divorce you and be done with you. I'm gonna have to now sit and rethink who's next in line. And I'll guarantee you he was probably wrestling. He was angry. He was upset. How many know when you're angry and upset, it's hard to go to sleep? Anybody ever have a fight with somebody you love? You know, every once in a while, my wife will pick a fight with me. Why do I boldly say that? Because she's not here at this service. I can boldly say that. Honestly, her emotional intelligence level is so far beyond mine. I don't even know where I am on that spectrum, but I'm, it's, it's way below her. I'm just teasing. But we have had our fights. Come on. I've slept on the couch in my younger years. Not lately, but in my younger years, I slept on the couch a few times. And I promise you, when you're sleeping on the couch, it's hard to go to sleep. You're tossing, you're turning. And I'll guarantee you, he's tossing and turning. He's having a tough time go to sleep. And all of a sudden, he finally gets off to sleep. And guess what? An angel decides to appear to him. Did you know that angels in multiple occasions in the Bible actually came to people in their dreams? And they were just as real as them being awake. And an angel shows up. And here's why I know that either Mary told him and he didn't listen because he was so angry and upset, or he just shut her down because the angel has to actually tell Joseph how his fiance got pregnant. Like he did not know how she got pregnant, because I think he shut her down. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. By the way, why am I preaching a Christmas message? Because it's mandatory. All pastors, once they ordain you, they say you have to preach a Christmas message when it comes to December. So we could talk about all kinds of other topics, but we're on Christmas, all right? God's angel spoke in the dream, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant. She will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. This would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Now, I want to just stop there for a second. Joseph has grown up in the synagogue since he was a little boy. He's heard the books of the prophets and the law read every single Sabbath day. And he's heard the prophet Isaiah's book read again and again from the time he's a little boy. So the angel knows that he knows the content. Now, you and I would find what he's about to tell Joseph 
in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But he's going to say it to Joseph, and Joseph knows what he's talking about, and he says these words. Watch for this. A virgin, and now it's starting to dawn, hey, Joseph, that virgin that the prophet Isaiah was talking about 700 years ago, that's actually Mary. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. And you know what that means? God is with us. Then Joseph woke up. He did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream, and he married Mary. And then he also guarded the prophetic word, right? Because he chose not to have relations with her until she had the baby. A virgin will give birth. It says in verse 25, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby, and he named the baby Jesus. So Emmanuel, that's the mystery of the kingdom, isn't it? That the God of heaven came to earth and put on flesh. The word was made flesh, John says, and lived among us incarnate. That God came to earth. Why did he become a man? So that he could do what Joseph said, save us from our sins. We have a saying around here that says, no perfect people allowed, because you know what? There's none of us that are perfect. On our best days, we're not perfect. We need a savior. And God sent his son. He's all God and he's all man now. But from that moment forth, Emmanuel came to live here on earth. God is with you. God is with me. God is with us. And I love that. Now, since we're heading into Christmas, I just want to share one thing I want to share a little Christmas fail that I've had in hopes of helping the guys here. All right, guys, I'm going to help you out. This is a little tip for you. Do not ever, I repeat, let me say that again so you're paying attention. Do not ever try to buy your wife, girlfriend, fiance, even your mom. Don't try to buy her clothes. You're bound to fail. You're bound to fail. It could be an epic fail too. Like how many of you guys even know what a color wheel is? Just admit that you don't. You're hopeless already. The fact that you don't know that makes you hopeless, all right? So I remember this one Christmas. We, we, uh, we had a tradition, you know, in my family when my, my sons were younger, and uh, we would have like this mini Christmas with us in the morning where we'd open our presents. And then we'd go up to Grandma and Papa's house in the afternoon where it was like crazy zoo-like chaos with all the aunts and uncles and cousins, wall-to-wall people, and just loud, you know. And my family's kind of loud. If you don't know us, we, we like interrupt each other. We talk over each other. We're super opinionated. And if you didn't know us, you'd think we didn't like each other. We're just Irish and loud, you know. And so it's like, that's how we are. And so you get up there. So we'd have our own little private Christmas and then go up there and do the big one, right? So we're opening our gifts. And I thought, this year, I'm going to just step out. I'm gonna, I think Lori needs a nice leather jacket. So this was before Amazon Prime and Google and all this stuff. And I remember I saw an ad and it said, leather warehouse jacket, thousands of jackets. I thought, I can find one if there's thousands. Like, I have a chance. So I get there, and I'm scoping all these jackets out, and I find the perfect jacket for Lori. And then I'm like kind of going, oh, man, hold on, man. She's kind of petite. I don't know. It could be a bad fit. So I saw a lady walking by. I said, hey, I know. Sorry to bother you, man, but my wife's about your size. Would you try this jacket on? Tell me if it fits. She puts it on. She goes, oh, yeah, this is awesome. 
I thought, that's yes. So like everybody gives all these presents out, right? Like kind of fake Lori out with like a cheap little present. Like that's all he gave me? And all of a sudden, it's like, Jesus, I saved the best wine for last. The very end, I'm like, oh, hold on. I'm sorry, Lori. There actually is one more present for you. Would you go over there to that closet and pull that hanging? Pulls it down. And in my mind, I'd rehearsed this picture again. In the end, I'd watched her face. I'd seen her emotions. I just saw how blessed and happy she was. And when she took the wrapper off, she like looked at it, but it wasn't the expression I had seen. It was different. And she just kept staring. I go, well, why don't you try it on? She goes, okay. She tries it on. And she didn't look any happier. And then she said these words, dude, you bought me a men's jacket. And I was like, are you kidding? Oh, man. Epic fail. But I'll tell you one present that will never fail you, and that's the presence of God. And that's the main thought for today, that his presence is the greatest present. So let's just drill down on Emmanuel for just a little bit. John 14, 23 says these words, if people love me, they will obey me, obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And God is saying here that he will move into your life. When you love him, when you open your heart to him, God moves in with you. You know, recently, um, my son Ryan and his wife, just for a couple of months to kind of expedite and accelerate their down payment, Lori and I said, why don't you guys move in with us and stop paying rent? And so they have. And you know, it's kind of funny, now that they've moved in, like, my address is their address. I wake up every morning and our life has changed because we wake up and our kids are there. We wake up and our granddaughter is there and it, it's wonderful. Like, you know, it is, it's, it's awesome. It's like they've moved in. And here's the thing, God has moved in to your life. So if you wanna know what God's address is, let me ask you this, what is your address? If you wanna know where God was at yesterday, can I ask you this, where were you at yesterday? If you wanna know where God has been this morning, like you're kinda of going, God, where are you? Like, where were you? Your address is his address. If you wanna know where he's gonna to be tomorrow, when you wake up, he'll be there. Because God has been to Christmas and back. God has been to next year and back. And when you get there, he'll still be there. And so, I love the fact that He's in us. Another passage says this, that 2 Corinthians, who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way, I'll live in them, move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So God makes it very, very real that he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to have this friendship with us. Do you know in the in the Hebrew, there's a word that's used uh, for Adam or for a man knowing his wife, you know, intimately. It's the word yada. But do you know that's also used in the context of knowing God? It's saying that your knowledge of God should be experiential and intimate, that God really wants to be your friend. He wants to be in relationship with you. And, and I don't know why, but when I was thinking about the fact that he lives in me and just those words, I don't know why, I was just like, he lives in me, he lives in me, and then suddenly this inspiration from a lion, not the lion of the tribe of Judah, mind you, which it should have been, but these words just kind of came, and I was just thinking, man, I really wish that was a gospel song because it's so good. It could almost be taken right out of the scriptures, you know? Do you know what song I'm talking about? Anybody know the song I'm talking about? He lives in you. He lives in me. 
He watches over everything we see into the water, into the truth is your reflection. He lives in you. Then you guys do the little African chant. Da -da 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 -da. Okay, it's 9 a.m. service. We're not gonna do that at 9 a.m. We'll do that at 1045. And I was like, it's like playing that song. I was like, that's so cool. And my son goes, like, what are you doing? I go, I don't know, man. I said the words here, like, honestly, they could almost be the gospel. He lives in you. He lives in me. He watches over everything we see. That's pretty amazing to me that God, the God of the universe lives in us. One of the things that has been a staple in my life for over three decades is the Lord's Prayer. It is not the only prayer that I pray. And I, most of the time, don't ever pray it verbatim. There's nothing wrong with that. But each phrase in there is meant to be a door that you open up to walk into a different room in this house called the house of prayer. A different experience in prayer. Each line means something that you pray into. And the very first line of the Lord's Prayer says these words, Our Father who art in heaven. And when you drill down into the language of what that means, I'm going to read what John Ortberg said about it because he does a better job than I could. He said these words. You could say, our Father in the heavens. You're saying, our Father who is all around me, our Father who is closer than the air I breathe, our Father who is right here, right now. God is that close. We are never alone. See, I don't know if you think like I think, but sometimes I don't think God is very close. Sometimes I don't feel like God is very close. But God is not a feeling and my thoughts aren't always lined up with truth. He is with you. And so I wanna talk just a little bit about some of the benefits of his presence. And I'm gonna move somewhat rapidly through this portion, but just kind of track with me if you can. One thing that his presence gives us is the gift of joy. And I don't think I hear a phrase used more than this. I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. You wanna be happy? Joy and happiness are the same thing. I know we. Preachers sometimes say they're not, but they are. In the Bible, they are. Listen to what it says. You lead me in the path of life. I experience absolute joy in your presence. You always give me sheer delight. Absolute joy or fullness of joy, like you can't get any more joy than what will come from your relationship with God. That's it, man. That's the peak. Psalm 8410, a single day spent in your temple is better than a thousand anywhere else. What is your favorite day? If money wasn't an object, what would your favorite day be on earth? Would it be on a beach somewhere in Waikiki? You know, would it, would it be on a cruise ship somewhere? Would it be at Disney World? Maybe not as a parent, but maybe at Disney World if you're a kid. For me, it might be, it might be on my old BMW, you know, leaning into the turns in the canyons of Malibu, you know, on my way down to the beach and just throttling through and just feeling the joy of just sliding into those turns. The Bible says that one day in his presence trumps a thousand of those put together. That's a pretty big claim, but God can back it up. How about this? Freedom from fear. People are full of fear. God says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be intimidated. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will support you with my victorious right hand. God is saying, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because of Emmanuel. He's with us. I think about it. When I was a little kid, you know, I wasn't even in kindergarten yet. I remember there were times that I just went through a season where I was having nightmares. I'd wake up. I'd have a nightmare or I'd wake up. And I would imagine that there was a guy standing outside my window and I'd run into my parents' room and I'd go, there's someone in my room, you know. 
I was convinced of it. And my dad would always take me by the hand, walk me in. He'd turn the light on, show me around. He was trying to give me logic, right? Like he's like, hey, there's no one here. But truth be told, the moment my dad took my hand, I wasn't afraid any longer because I knew that my dad was bigger and badder than any bad guy standing outside my window. When you and I know that he's with us, we don't have to be afraid. And we can know that in our lives. How about this? Courage. Have I not commanded you strength? Courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God is with you every step you take. I don't know about you guys, but I figured out that to pursue the things that God has put in my heart and probably your heart is going to take some courage. It's going to take some strength. And you know what? You and I aren't called to just kind of work that up on our own, out of our own willpower. We can tap into the strength that comes from his presence to pursue the visions and the dreams and take the risks that God is asking us to take. How about peace? His presence gives peace. John 14, 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled, don't be afraid. God's peace can guard our heart and mind. Christmas isn't always the most fun time for everyone, but you can have peace in every situation, every room you walk into, every gathering you walk into, you can have peace because he's with you. And the last one, blessing. We know that Joseph, man, he was betrayed by his brothers, by his family, sold as a slave. He doesn't even have a say in where he goes and what he does. And look what it says in Genesis 39. We're going to go to verse three. Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful. God's presence caused him to prosper. I would just say it this way. God's blessing can give you a life that you could never achieve on your own without it. I'll say that again. God's blessing can give you a life that you could never achieve on your own without it. And that's one thing that his presence is, is gonna do in your life. It is it'll bless you. So I wanna talk about just one more aspect of this, and it's just awareness. I wanna talk about awareness. Hebrews 13, five says, for God has said, I will never leave you, I will never abandon you. How many of you have had some people walk out on you once or twice in life? People that said they never would, but did. God will never do that. He says, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'm gonna always be there for you. And I think about this, and it's amazing that God is saying, I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. But you know, God can be with you but if you never acknowledge his presence or you're not aware of it, how much good is it doing for you? It's almost like a fridge, any kind of appliance, really. If it's not plugged into the power, it can't really do a whole lot. John 15, verse 5 in the, the Passion Translation says, when we live a life apart from him, we live a powerless life. And so you and I need to become aware of and get plugged into his presence. And so I feel like that's something that we can do. You know, there's a guy that's here this morning, and um, I remember having a coffee with him when he first started coming, and he's a guy that's gone through recovery and went through the 12 steps and all that, and uh, we started talking. He had a lot of just, just really nuggets and just great things that God had taught him. But I remember he was saying one of the things that he really struggled with was like prayer, like developing a prayer life. Like he, he knew he should pray, but he wasn't. And he said his sponsor said, hey, why don't, why don't we create a little trigger for you? He says, what's the first thing you do when you get up? And he goes, man, I put on my slippers. He goes, why don't you put your slippers under your bed? That way, when you get up, you're gonna have to get down on your knees to reach your slippers. And when you're down on your knees, why don't you just utter a little prayer? 
Lord, help me. If that's all you know how to say, just Lord, help me. He goes, how about when you go to bed at night, put your slippers back under your bed, and when you get down on your knees, thank you, Lord, for helping me. And he said that was the beginning of his prayer life. Do you know a lot of habits, 40% of what we do in life is all habit-driven. You don't even think about it. You just do it. But most habits happen and start with what we call triggers. You gotta have a trigger. So what can you do to begin to cultivate an awareness of God's presence in your life? Think about it. If your relationship is, I only call on him when I'm in trouble, that's maybe not the best relationship. If your relationship is, I, I know he loves me and all that, but I don't really talk to him, that's not much of one either. Or it could just be, all you do is talk to him and you never listen. So we wanna cultivate this relationship with God. We wanna begin to talk to him. Think about it. Like if you get into your car today when you leave here, what if you just said, Lord, it's time for us to go somewhere. I don't know. I'm not telling you what to do. Maybe you put on a worship song in the morning. I don't know. Find your own trigger. But guys, there was a phrase that was coined by a 16th century monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. It was called practice the presence of Jesus. And what he would do is at different moments in his days, he would just pause no matter what he was doing, and he would just let his thoughts turn towards God. God's with us, but why not begin to cultivate an awareness of that presence? See, I think that what happens is, truthfully, that we can grow in our awareness of God and and in relationship with him to the point that we don't want to ever do anything without him. When God called Moses to lead Israel out of slavery from Egypt and bring them to the promised land, how many know those were people that got God angry a lot? And there was a time where God hit his breaking point, like God hit his breaking point in Genesis 32. And God said to Moses, he said, hey, Moses, I'm done. He's like, I'm gonna keep my promise because I always do, but I'll send an angel with you guys. But at this point, I am done. I'm checked out. Like, I can't take being with these people anymore. And you know what Moses said in response to that? He said these words. If you don't personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. He's saying, God, If you're not gonna go with me, then cancel the trip, I'm not going. What if we could come to that place where we don't wanna go anywhere God's not going? Like we wanna live our life together with him. Are you guys getting this this morning? Are you tracking with me here just a little bit? Let's look at the last passage today. Psalm 27, verse eight. When you said, seek my face in prayer, require my presence as your greatest need. I said, okay, I'll do it but I wanna just look at those words. Require my presence as your greatest need. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. Do you see God? Is God your greatest need in this life? Or do you think something else is your greatest need? Is that your career? Is that your education? Is that your relationship? Is that your financial situation? social standing, what do you think your greatest need is? The latest and greatest gadget out there? Can I tell you this? Whether you know it or not, he is your greatest need because you were never created to live a life apart from him. You are gonna be at your absolute best when you're living a life with God. And that's when life begins to make sense. Now, you're not gonna understand it all, but honestly, you'll begin to find your purpose in life. And so, If you don't see that as your greatest need, I've been praying for you this week that you will because there's nothing like the presence of God. 
I know in my own life there were times that I can remember I just, I went through this phase where um, I think I was on paid staff somewhere for like three years, and I was just leading a ton of worship services all the time. And um, I just started to get burned out. I was just kind of getting burned out. I was at church all the time, and I was just like, God, I'm not even excited to be here, man, and, and they're paying me, <laughs> you know? I don't know how the volunteers feel, but they're paying me, and I'm not excited to be here. I'm, like, tired. And it was like, at that point, I really feel like God challenged me to just reframe how I saw what church was about. And it was like, what if you, Graham, looked at church as an opportunity for you to develop your friendship with me? To be called the friend of God is the greatest honor in my life. Jesus said, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Because friends get let in on my plans. And to just start going and saying, God, you know, I don't care how I feel. I'm here today because I want to be your friend. I want to get to know you better. And I tell you what, it just breathed life back into me. And another thing was sometimes I'd have moments where I didn't feel his presence, and I learned that I could just begin to acknowledge it, and I would instantly begin to sense it. Father, I don't feel you. It feels like you're 100 miles away from me. But I thank you right now that you're actually here. I praise you that you're here. Thank you so much that you're with me. And every time I would do that and become, a, you know, just become aware of his presence, it was like, began to grow in me. And that can grow in you too. I want to close with this story. Um, a number of years ago, I traveled with a team uh, from my church and we, um, we went to uh, Germany. And we went there several times to minister um, in the early 2000s. And it was a blessing. Um, I, I, I met a lot of amazing people there. But I was at this one church and I remember we, we, uh, we ministered there, and then at the end, what we would do is we would pray for the people. And, you know, church in, in Europe is a little different than America because, like, in a lot of Europe, like, only 3% of their population actually attend church. So you have a ton of agnostics and a ton of atheists and a very small amount of Christians. And in Germany, most of them, by birth, are Lutheran. So they pay 3% into the Lutheran church from their paychecks, and that entitles them to burials and marriages and all that stuff in a Lutheran church. And I met Lutheran pastors who were atheists. I did. Yeah, it was interesting, but it was just a profession to them. And so there's all these massive Lutheran cathedrals all over Germany. And on a Sunday morning, you might find five 80-year-old ladies in there. And that's it. And a lot of them are being sold. But God is moving still. And there's always a remnant. And so we came in contact with it. So we were there with a team, and we were bringing a different kind of gospel to them than they'd grown up hearing. And there was a young guy there. Um, and I remember, like, our team at the end of the service, he came up and he goes, man, you know, we were just praying for people at the end of service. Like, whatever your need was, we'd pray. And he goes, well, he goes, I have a tough time sleeping. He goes, my body's racked with pain, especially my back. And uh, so we prayed for him. And he came back several days later, and he goes, this is the first time in, like, I don't remember how many years, 10 years, 20 years, that I've slept without pain. And so he invited us over to his house, and we had lunch together. I got to know him. And then he came out to Los Angeles, and he was pursuing some, some business opportunities out there. And him and his wife began to attend our church in Los Angeles whenever they were there, and, and we got to know him better. And his name, he's right behind me here. His name is Andreas Vecker. And Andreas Vecker is a guy who won the gold medal in 1996 in Atlanta on the men's high bar. And um, I said, hey, Andreas, you know, you have, like, an amazing story um, I'd love you to share with my youth. And so I remember he came and he shared with the youth, and I went to that meeting just to hear his story. And I heard a part of his story I had never heard before. 
And he said, you know, he said, when I was born, the Berlin Wall that divided East from West had not fallen yet. And I was born into East Germany, communist Germany, basically ruled by Russia. And in those days, they had these machines that existed to create Olympians. And so if they spotted talent in you, they'd pluck you out of your house and send you to a school. And that's all you did. You learned, you got your math and all that, but you, you trained all day long. So at the age of five, they spotted Andreas and they said, this little guy has a lot of talent. Let's see if we can make him a gymnast. And so thus began his journey. And um, he eventually became the most decorated, at that time, Olympian in, in German history. Um, but he said to the students, and I thought, it didn't make sense. He said, you know what? He said, when I won the gold medal, he said, I literally came back to my country and I was like a hero. They were putting me on TV. I was a broadcaster. I was just, all kinds of accolades were coming in. And he goes, and I fell into a deep depression for a year. They're like, hold on, you just won the gold medal. Why would you be depressed? He said, because before I won that gold medal, every day of my life, I woke up. And the thing that pushed me through all the pain and the injuries and everything, every obstacle, the thing that pushed me and drove me day after day after day was I'm gonna get the gold medal. Like I'm, nothing's gonna stop me. And he goes, I went after it hard. He goes, I woke up every day driven with one purpose to win a gold medal. And he goes, and then when I won it, I said, hold on, now what? There's nothing higher. I can't. There's nothing beyond this. The gold, the gold is it. It's the pinnacle. Now what? And he goes, suddenly I lost my purpose. The very thing that he thought was going to give his life purpose and had for a period of time suddenly was gone now. And it was during that time of depression in his life that he encountered Jesus Christ and became a follower of Jesus. And I wonder how many times do we end up in our culture, thinking that, you know what? If I could just be famous, if I could just be wealthy, if I could just, you know, have this perfect relationship, if I could do this, or, or maybe you just say, you know what? I'm gonna turn to drugs, whatever it might be. I think what happens is we end up looking to a lot of things to fill that hunger and that thirst on the inside of us to satisfy us that, that can really be satisfied by God. That whether we have known it or not, his presence really is our greatest need. And so like, I don't know about you, but I don't, I know sometimes I've had to learn things from the Lord the hard way, but I'd so much rather learn the easy way Somebody said experience is a great teacher, but the tuition is very high. So I'd rather learn from your experience. And I hope you can learn from my experience and Andreas that what you need most of all, guys, it's not all those other things that are gonna satisfy you deeply. The thing that will satisfy you in your innermost being is knowing him because that's what you were born to do. You were born to know God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that these people here, Lord, that many of them here know you, love you. And we might all know you at a different place, different level. But Lord, I pray as we go about our week this week, Lord, would you help each one of us? 
not just hear this message, not just get so caught up in the busyness of what has to get done for Christmas that we just take moments where we step back and pause and just become aware of your presence. Just become aware of your presence and engage your presence. Plug into your presence and your power. I pray, Lord, that this week that's what we'll do. And while we're in this place of prayer, if you're here today and you've never crossed the line of faith, what do I mean by that? You might believe in God. You might believe in who Jesus is and that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, but you've never really crossed that line of faith and said, I'm going to make it personal, that I'm making a decision from my heart to follow Jesus. If you've never done that, today can be your day to cross that line of faith. And I want to give you that opportunity in just a moment. I'm not talking about joining this church or a religion or anything else. I'm just talking about a personal decision with what are you going to do with who Emmanuel is. So if you're here today and you're saying, hey, you know what? I want to pray. I want to give my life to him. I want to receive the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. I want to belong to him. No, you're not going to be perfect, but it's about following him. If you want to do that today, then I want to ask you to do something with me. I want you to just pray with me. And just go ahead and say these words out loud because in this church, nobody prays alone. We all pray together as a church. Just say this if you really want to cross that line of faith today. Just simply say this, Jesus, I call on you. You promised that whoever called on your name, you would save. Save me now. I make a decision to follow you. I believe in you. I call you Lord. Forgive my sins. Receive me into your kingdom. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.